So as Gondor read, Nehemiah 8, it's the end of verse 10, but I don't know if you put B, C, or D in there because it's quite a long verse, but the part we're focusing on, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Nelly told me to take everything out of my pockets, and I didn't because I fidget. So I thought since Amy's birthing story went so well in her talk, uh, that would <laughs> give it a nudge again today and see how we go. So brace yourself, Tui. Um I'm really loud here, Paul. Can we turn the, the me off? Sorry, I'm just distracting myself. Um, so eight years ago, Nellie was pregnant uh, with our oldest, um, which is Eden here, who we ate in March. Um, and labor arrived, as it does. Um, so we got rid of the, got, not, didn't get rid of, we got the midwife, um, but we'll skip ahead. Uh, so Eden was born. Hey, all the gruesome details. Um, so I don't really know what I was expecting other than that newborn babies are tiny. Um, but when Eden was born, she was nine pounds seven, which is on the bigger size of, of, of babies. Um, so, yeah, like I say, I don't really know what I was expecting, and Nellie did an amazing job. But unfortunately, the first words uh, that Eden would have heard her father say outside of the womb were... Wow, she's a monster. <laughs> My midwife, though, um, she was probably more thinking of the colour and all the other bits in Bob's present. Sorry, Tui. Um, so she thought I was meaning that she literally looked like some kind of monster and proceeded to tell me off. Uh, Alex, she's not a monster, she's your beautiful daughter. <laughs> um, so though I'm sure we can all appreciate that the birth of a child is a time that would bring joy. Um, what actually is it? Or rather, what good is it to us? Because um, there's so much pain and suffering in the world, so where is the joy that Jesus has promised us so boldly? Um, what I want to look at today is what purpose does joy actually serve? And to be fair, there's a lot of crossover with what Amy shared on hope, uh, because what we have our hope in is where our joy comes from. So, Tim Mackey says that joy is an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. Not because of happy circumstances. So it's not just about being an optimist and thinking that everything will be tickety-boo. Because um, I'm one of those people, and Amy admitted that she also was, and I know we're not alone. Uh, I've been described as painfully positive um, and a ray of sunshine. <laughs> it does mean that it's easier for me and people like me to tap into that joy or that perceived joy, um, but it's not necessarily a good perspective all the time. Anyway, I've learned that trying to stay in that peaceful place um, causes more problems than it's worth sometimes. Then there's the pessimists. These guys get a bad rap, but to be fair, they're probably more realistic. They're expecting and therefore ready for when the brown sticky stuff hits the fan, and they're already wearing gloves. Uh, but obviously when the negative thinking consumes you, then it's equally as destructive as optimism can be. But the joy is still promised to the pessimists. Uh, it doesn't matter which way you naturally tend to lean, um, it doesn't qualify you or disqualify you from God's joy. Tim also mentioned hope in God's love and promise. As we celebrate Christmas next week, um, we remember and rejoice in God's love and promise of our Saviour. Emmanuel, God with us, making a way for us to have union with him and union forever 
And Paul tells us that our present suffering doesn't compare to the glory that we'll have within us when we are in that union with the Father. It doesn't even compare. That's a promise to hold on to. A joy that's set before us, as it were. And like I said before, hope is the fuel to our joy. Tim Keller, the other Tim, compares happiness to joy in that you could have a joyous occasion at a party or something where everyone is happy and rowdy, like a babbling brook. It's running water, it's still making a lot of noise, but it's shallow, as opposed to the deep-seated joy of having children or being married. It's not necessarily happy every day, but it's a far more satisfying happiness, like a deep river that is silent as it flows. If one of my sons, for example, had the opportunity to go and see the Mona Lisa, it would be wasted. He wouldn't care at all. Um, He just wouldn't appreciate it. But if the same opportunity was given to an art historian, it would be a life highlight. When we only know it in our heads, without the emotional connection, we are like one of my sons with the Mona Lisa. But when we can, uh, sorry, and we can't really appreciate the good times as good as they could be. But when we get it in our hearts, we become like the art historian. The joy is not a babbling brook, but a deep river. Sam made the distinction last week between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And he talked about the Enneagram tests, uh, personality test that is, and I'm a nine as well, which, as he said, is the peacemaker. However, in my life, I have been more of a peacekeeper, and this hasn't exactly been helpful. Uh, So this is little Alex. No, it's not. That is. (laughs) Sort of like Eden with short hair. Um, She's much prettier. (laughs) Yeah. I can't argue that. She's a monster, though. But (laughs) So, anyways. I know I've gone too far. Just look at Sam Knox, and he just shakes his head. So this little guy, this good guy, little guy, learnt to dismiss his feelings. Maybe not when he was that young, um, but uh, I learnt to just accept what was um, for the harmony that false peace would bring. Avoid conflict at all costs. Um, unfortunately, as Sam alluded to, this causes far more trouble than if the conflict had just been addressed. It's a slow build-up, but it festers, and it's definitely there. So as a result of this subconscious coping strategy, I can look back now and say that I've been living in the babbling brook, unable to relax into the steady, calm flow of the river of joy. But with that said, because of my optimism and my happy-go-lucky personality, I thought I did have joy. I thought I was living in the joy of the Lord. But the emotional disconnect, although at a shallow level protects you from the pain, stops the ability of an emotional connection. And without the emotional connection, you cannot experience true joy. So relationships with people and even God have been hindered in an inability to draw near to others. A friend of mine joked that I had a stone heart because things just didn't faze me. And he was right, I did. I thought I was a happy, stoic guy who could handle adversity because of my joy. But it turns out I've been a numb guy who avoids adversity and never really tasted true joy. James tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. He says that when we let perseverance finish its work, we can be mature and complete. 
This theme runs throughout scripture. We see it in Jonah, when he's taken into the deep in the belly of the fish, and he comes through to new life on the other side. Daniel isn't spared from the lion's den, but he comes out of the pit bringing glory to God, and even he is exalted. Likewise with his friends in the fiery furnace. But Jesus goes through the worst of it, and he brings us new life because of it. So we are going to go through the struggle, uh, whatever it is, but God will bring us through. I heard a beautiful analogy the other week that said that God is weaving a tapestry uh, with all the beautiful colours and with some grand design. Uh, but just as in any artwork, the dark colours are required as much as the beautiful ones. All we can see from our perspective is the underside of the tapestry. So we can see the bright colours and we can see the dark colours, but we can't see the design. When we're with him in glory, we get to see the complete tapestry from the top. And we can see why all those dark threads were essential for the grand design. Like the dark threads, our struggles are required for our growth. Even if God doesn't intend for it to happen to us, he will use it to make his beautiful tapestry. Nothing that you go through is wasted when God has taken care of you. Admittedly, this requires an eternal perspective sometimes, especially if your struggle was a big one. It can be very hard to see past your trial, and in some cases, the only way the trial may end is in the grave. But that's the beauty, is that even if that's the case, we still win. Because the grave is not the end. God promises us that we will get through it, and one day we will see his beautiful tapestry. That's the joy we hold on to. That no matter how bad it gets here, even if it gets so bad that it kills you, that's not the end, and God knows the bigger picture. It's the whole idea Nick has mentioned a few times before, of the now and the not yet. Um, I have a cool analogy that I like to use to explain that idea. Um, so I'm sorry to bring up the rugby again. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, no, because you bring it into the light and God brings healing. So, <laughs> Healing, Lord. Uh, so in the World Cup, the All Blacks played Uruguay. Um, and at halftime, it was something like 60-0. So it was safe to say the All Blacks had won. That there was no way that Uruguay would come back from that. But you don't just call the game at halftime, because that's not how it works. So the All Blacks had won, but they had to play the second half. And Uruguay came out too. They were still making their tackles and stopping the All Blacks' advances where they could. Sorry, I forgot my DMAT picture. That's for Nick. <laughs> yes. Nice, Johnny, save me back. Um, so Uruguay was still making their tackles. They were stopping the All Black advances where they could. And they were even making the occasional line break. The All Blacks still dropped the ball. They still got penalised. And Uruguay even scored against them. But the All Blacks had won far before the end. Jesus has won the battle. The enemy's still there doing what he can to trip us up. He's still making his tackles and making line breaks. We still drop the ball and we still get penalised. And the enemy even gets tries every now and then. But Jesus has won long ago. We can rejoice in the fact that no matter what Uruguay throws at us, we've already won. In regards to joy, Tim Mackey, again, back to the first Tim, says that Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own love, life and love. It's profound because it is life-changing, at least if we let it be. To let it, we need to get it from our heads 
into our hearts, deep in our souls for it to really take hold and transform our life. Only then can we cling to this joy that Jesus promises us. Tim Keller, the second Tim again, had another cool analogy, and he says that when we're preserving meat, we put salt on it, and it stops it from going bad. The salt doesn't replace the meat, it just stops it going bad. Tim says that joy is the salt to our sorrow. The joy doesn't replace the sorrow, it's still there, it just stops it going bad. There's plenty that can and does cause us sorrow, and even in this room there's a whole lot of brokenness and heartache. But the joy of the Lord gives us the strength to carry on. And when we look ahead to the promise that Jesus has overcome the world, it allows us to not be consumed and brought down by that sorrow and pain. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth, sorry Terry, to a child has pain because her hour has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Jesus gave up his throne to come down here and that is what we celebrate in this season. And then he gave his life to give us new life. It's a beautiful act of love. And the very thing that gives us our joy, that cannot be taken away from us. This joy is why so many martyrs went to their death, professing and testifying to Jesus and his good news. They had it in their hearts. Paul says, for the joy, sorry, Paul says of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy before him was us. We were his joy, not the cross. That was horrific. The joy wasn't in that present moment but he used the joy of what was waiting for him as his strength to get through that moment. He could tap into the future joy and use it now. Greg Boyd, who's not a Tim at all, said, it's kind of like a heavenly credit card. And we can use it too. Accessing future joy to spend now. But the beauty is there's no cap on this credit card, there's no interest, and we don't have to pay anything back. You've got to love God's economy. Again, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As James mentions, when you persevere through the trial, you'll be mature. The pain grows us and makes us more like him, more human. And when we're more human, we get to appreciate the good things more. Paul says in Romans 8, And we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice Paul doesn't say God will make everything good for those who believe. He works for the good in all things. I mentioned before that my friend had called me a stone heart. And last year Nick actually prayed against the stone heart in me, and God has answered that prayer. And he's been working in me in ways only he can. I look back now at the birth of my kids and I can see how blocked up I was and that all I could comment on was what I was seeing in front of me, that Eden was a monster. Uh, not, <laughs> not to, she's going to have a complex, yeah. 
You are beautiful, Eden. I was just... Anywho. Moving right along, SM. Not to remove my heart. Um, I was unable to see the amazing thing that Nelly had done. Um, I got it at a head level. It's pretty obvious. But at a heart level, really seeing the weight of what she had done and the miracle that is my three children now being born. What should be a couple of the best days of my life on an emotional level were just somewhat ordinary days with exceptional circumstances. I could not tap into that joy because I lacked the emotional connection. Don't get me wrong, there were still happy days. Uh, it's not like I was unhappy or sad. I just couldn't experience the Mona Lisa. And so I missed out on the deep treasure of joy in that moment. So now, after the year I've had, where I've been humbled and broken and opened up, when nearly all the kids tell me they love me, it moves me. Uh, I have a deep appreciation for my family and God. Before this year, I basically only cried at a handful of funerals. Now I've been crying, or at least welling up at the lyrics to songs, or if Nellie writes me a letter, or Eden writes me a letter. <clears throat> In my quiet time, or even with a comforting hug. Nellie has never seen me cry so much. Happy tears and sad tears, just for the record. This year has been super painful, and it's grown me, sorry, and as I've grown in this, God has used it to heal me and to learn more about myself. And although there's been pain and brokenness, I'm better for it and more like him because of it. I would argue you can't reach your true potential without going through the trash first. You just won't be able to appreciate the Mona Lisa. The trials grow us, and as long as we remember what God has in store for us and what he will do for us as a result of this trial, cashing in on that heavenly credit card, then we'll come out the other side more like him with more faith and full of the joy of God's promise. A while ago, Amy gave Nellie and I our Kurimako t-shirts. Uh, there was one white one, so Amy said that I should have the one-of-a-kind shirt because I was so amazing and holy. Um, <laughs> it's the version I tell Sam anyway because he's jealous of it. <laughs> but regardless of how I got it, um, I've been wearing this shirt proudly and arrogantly around Sam since then. Um, <laughs> But as I mentioned at camp, for those of you who were there, um, I've since built curry and McDonald's on it. Uh, it's always white clothes. <laughs> but I put stain remover on it, which got the McDonald's sauce out, um, except I left it in too long, and it actually caused worse staining than the food had done. Uh, so it's ruined, like unwearable ruined, sorry, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how to do this without being weird, so I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to take my shirt off now. And if you would like to look away, that's, that's up to you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so there's a couple points, couple points I want to make here. Um, firstly is that God brings beauty out of our mess, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. And beauty brings joy. A beautiful view, beautiful song, beautiful shirt. Anything beautiful brings us joy. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And the second thing is sometimes there's even a beauty in your life that you may have never found if you hadn't gone through the trial. If I'd never stained and ruined my shirt, it would never look like this tight-eyed masterpiece. <laughs> if I had never failed God, I couldn't appreciate his forgiveness and grace. 
I would even go so far as to say that because I have failed God and myself, I now have a greater joy for what God has done for me. The joy of the Lord really is my strength. And even when I'm overwhelmed by shame or feel dejected, I can rejoice in God's forgiveness and grace and know that he gives it freely. So we get it at a head level, but we need to get it at a heart level. So how do you do that? Um, It's like Amy said about hope. It has to be our own desire. And that's a tough one uh, because you can learn and learn and learn and still never get it. And that has been my story. But Paul has a good answer to this in 1 Thessalonians. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Whakamoimati is one of our values here at Korimako, and we want to be worshippers of our Lord and Saviour, the source of our joy. And this verse, I think, pretty much sums it up. Rejoice always. Praise God for his goodness, even when life is dumb, because he's making his tapestry. Pray continually. He's always there. He's the air you breathe, so talk to him. Tell him how hard it is. He can handle all of your emotions. Just read the Psalms, (laughs) and you know you can say whatever you need to. Give thanks in all circumstances. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. A grateful heart is vital. Gratitude to God for all he has done for you and what he has in store for you. Sorry, that's the end of the sentence. What he has in store for you. In Galatians, Paul says, May I never boast except in the Lord, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tim Mackey, again, the last time I referenced to Tim today, said, To boast in the Lord is a military reference, like Mel Gibson and Braveheart. But instead of a motivational speech, they would shout praises to their God to hype them up and get them in the zone. So commit some promises to memory. You can boast in the Lord when times are tough. Because after all, we are in a battle. And we need to get hyped up on Jesus and his joy to get, it through, to get through. So here are a few, but there's a whole library of scripture you can choose from. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made who made heaven and earth, good spelling. Restore to me, this is what David says, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Another way that I like to boast in the Lord and part of Whakamoimati is through singing worship songs. I'm always jamming Jesus songs on Spotify, just ask my kids. I love when someone else can put what you're feeling into eloquent words and a beautiful melody. It's like my soul is agreeing. Alan and Julie, who may not be here, but shout out to... Journey 101, Um, they introduced me to the band Maverick City and a song of theirs that has been really helping me to boast in the Lord is called I Thank God. Um, And the first verse and chorus, I'm not going to sing it, wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide, this weary soul, this bag of bones, and I tried with all my mind and I just can't win the fight, slowly drifting, I vagabond. And just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. He picked me up, he turned me around, he placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Saviour, because he healed my heart, he changed my name, forever free, I am not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Saviour, I thank God. I can vouch for the fact that a good wake-up call or reality check can be the gateway, and God will meet you there and guide you through it. 
but really God is with you all the time and he's waiting for you to let him in, waiting for you to let him pick you up and turn you around. Bring everything into the light. It's hard, but it's important. I've learned. To do this, you need to be in community. Another value here we mention a lot is whanaungatanga, which is basically like community in verb form. Get in a small huddle or cluster, a group of people that you can trust. Pray for each other. Rejoice when they rejoice, mourn when they mourn. Remind each other of the joy that is set before you, of the credit card you have access to. If we were his joy to get through his suffering, how much more can he be our joy when we go through ours? If we were his joy to get through his suffering, how much more can he be our joy when we go through ours? A massive part of me personally finding joy in the Lord has been through my amazing and beautiful wife. God has used her to reveal his love to me. She has given me a tangible expression of his love and grace and has opened my eyes and heart to God's goodness and enabled me to access a spectrum of emotions I have been cut off from. Love you. I also have let a trusted few into my story and they have listened and encouraged and reminded me of God's love for me. This speaks to the power of community. We should all have people around us who can remind us to, the look, to look to the hills, as Psalm 121 says. Remember God's goodness. Let it be to your pain and sorrow what salt is to preserving meat. Because when you make it through whatever you're going through, God is going to have transformed your life, like my shirt. And while you're in that hard place, cash in on the heavenly credit card that can bring you this still deep flow of joy when the babbling brook cannot be seen or heard. Boast in the Lord with whakamoimati, encourage each other with whanaungatanga, and just trust that one day you'll get to see the grand design and the purpose of all those dark threads. just want to close with this blessing from Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with, the, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.